Hello again, this is Brother Sam, and we're continuing with To Be a People. This is chapter four, it's called Be Love. You know, as you're listening to the chapter today, there's probably somebody in your life, maybe like a friend, could be a family member, maybe somebody in the faith community that you're distant from, you know, like you've had a falling out or just kind of drifted apart. If this is you, let's put what we hear today into action. Love makes the first move. So pray for Jesus to show you a way to step out and try to repair a broken relationship. I'm saying the same thing to me. This is hard to do. But every time we step out in faith, God will bless it. Reconciliation takes two. But somebody has to risk and be bold and make that first move. So don't just be a listener today. Let's be doers of God's word. Are you ready? Let's do this. Chapter 4. Be Love. In SPO, we get pretty close, not just relationally, but physically, as in tight spaces. There's not a lot of elbow room, especially when we live together in household. It's not a bad thing, but it's also not easy. There's a reason for living this way. Every Christian household is a school of love, a place to practice forgiveness. We've already learned about the Father's house, that mercy is like a key that unlocks the front door. We're reminded of this when we pray, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. But we also learned that we fall short a lot, especially in the unforgiving words we say. So we need somewhere to work on this skill daily. We ended last time with a note about patience, realizing there's still so much ground for us to gain. Household isn't the only place we learn mercy, but it's a prime example of what's at stake. A good household is a place of peace. At the end of the day, you're looking forward to coming home. A household marred by unresolved conflict is the opposite. You find every excuse not to go home. That's why mercy matters. A house that's divided crumbles. We have that on the best authority. This chapter is about reconciling relationships. Think of it as the next episode of a series you're streaming. Last time, we learned about the damage our words can do. This episode, we pick up the action with a question. When we fail, and not just with our words, how do we make amends? If we offend God, we know he's a merciful father. By repenting to him, we can receive forgiveness and a chance to try again. Relatively speaking, that's the easy part. What about when we offend each other? Do we know how to forgive? Or what about when we need to ask forgiveness from others? Ugh. This episode just got freakishly scary. You might be tempted to hit pause or switch to another show. Don't go. There's a good ending. What's your superpower? Humility. Why do we resist reconciliation? We need to face this. Isn't it true that we find almost any excuse to avoid conflict? Why is that? Sure, there's the fact that we love awkward conversations about as much as oral surgery and Zoom meetings, but it goes deeper. To say, you hurt me, is hard enough. But what about, I'm sorry that I hurt you, and I will honestly do my best to make sure it won't happen again. It feels, it feels weak. What we need is a fresh perspective. We learn mercy from the Father's heart. We learn something important from the heart of Jesus, too. 
the power of humility. Learn from me, he says to his disciples, for I am meek and humble of heart. The Gospel of John gives us a startling example of this humility in action. Quote, Jesus, fully aware that the Father had put everything into his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God, rose from supper and took off his outer garments. He took a towel and tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel around his waist. Unquote. John goes out of his way to remind us who this is, the Almighty Eternal Son of God. We see this massive disconnect. He who holds all creation in the palm of his hand is holding feet. To Jews, this was a job for slaves. There is no way for us to understand the humiliation. You could picture Tiger Woods showing up at your golf game and volunteering to be your caddy. Simone Biles offering to teach you how to do a cartwheel or Tom Brady asking to do laundry for your intramural flag football team. None of these analogies come anywhere close. Even if we can't get the magnitude, we can still get the message. Jesus himself explains, quote, If I, therefore, the master and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you a model to follow, so that as I have done for you, you should also do. Jesus calls us to humble ourselves in imitation of his own humility, to get down on our knees with each other and be willing to deal with the dirt. As we turn to the issue of reconciliation, learning how to repair relationships, the Lord's example shows us something else. Meekness isn't weakness. Humility makes the first move. In every community, there is conflict. We're not in a fantasy land of happy, clappy Christians who never offend. Love is not about never having to say you're sorry, as one old movie falsely claimed. Yes, we're called to turn the other cheek, but if that's our only response to wrongdoing, we'll need hinges on our heads. Applying the lesson of Jesus' humble heart, we can ask ourselves these questions. Am I strong enough to be humble? Am I willing to make the first move when a relationship needs repair? Can I place myself below my sister or my brother for the sake of forgiveness? We answer not only by our words, but by our works. We are true disciples of our humble master when we move quickly to address, rather than avoid, relational conflict. Move quickly. That's important when we're dealing with wrongdoing, yours or theirs. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, quote, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, unquote. What does it look like to be a peacemaker? Later, he gives a practical example. Quote, If you bring your gift to the altar and there recall that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there at the altar, go first and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Unquote. Don't miss this. The quality of our worship is directly connected to the peace of our relationships. Where reconciliation is needed, it takes precedence. Picture yourself at a prayer meeting and you see somebody you've offended. Maybe you promised to do something and didn't follow through. Jesus is saying, don't put it off. Go over and ask forgiveness. This is not neglecting worship. This is prioritizing reconciliation. Peace, then, is the fruit of relationships restored. 
far from just being nice or avoiding conflict, we promote peace when we humbly admit that something isn't right and work to resolve whatever harm has been done. How can we become peacemakers in the household of God, not to mention in our actual households? This part gets very practical. We'll talk about two kinds of reconciliation. The first is when we need to ask forgiveness for something we've done. The second is when we need to forgive someone who did something wrong to us. We'll call the first repairing wrongdoing. We'll call the second resolving conflict. Repairing wrongdoing, when it's our fault. Whenever wrongdoing is our fault, the first step is to admit it. A good rule of thumb is own it when you've blown it. This is harder than it sounds. Rationalizations and excuses are easy mental escape hatches. I, I got stuck in traffic. Or my schedule's been crazy. Or, well, she's not so dependable herself. The question to ask is, if what I did to her, him, was done to me, would I be offended? Or to get another view, would a reasonable person be offended? If you're not sure you could get advice from a trusted outside source, but always be careful to protect identities and reputations. Though it might seem obvious, we need to decide who was actually hurt. With whom do you need to seek forgiveness? If you arrived late to a meeting you're leading and you made everybody wait, the reconciliation should be prompt and should address all who were kept waiting. If you said something hurtful, for example, a sarcastic comment that clearly embarrassed somebody in front of others, you make it a priority to seek out that person in particular. Once we know the wrong we've done, we make the first move to repair the relationship. That's humility in action. We admit our fault to the person or people we've offended. Here are the key components. I'm sorry. This is an expression of contrition. We're saying, I take responsibility for what I've done. Often we leave things here, but I'm sorry is only the beginning. It was wrong. Beyond taking responsibility, we should acknowledge that it was actually wrong whatever we did or failed to do. That was inconsiderate of me. Or, I know that put you in a bad spot. Or, I should have told you first. I won't do it again. Or at least I'll try. Like, really. To the best of our ability, we're going to avoid causing this kind of harm again. If the harm is significant, it's appropriate to offer some kind of compensation, like, I won't use your car again without asking permission. Just to say I'm sorry for making you miss your appointment, I'll pay for the tank of gas. Then comes the key ingredient. Please forgive me. To acknowledge offense and promise to do better is not enough. We've also damaged the relationship. So a humble request for forgiveness seals the reconciliation. It restores right order in the relationship. Like, please forgive me for telling all the guys about your acceptance to med school. That should have been your news to share. Often, it's the other person or a third party, like a mutual friend, who brings the matter to our attention. Maybe in the moment we hear them out and peacefully nod our understanding, we might even say all the right things described above. Sorry, it was wrong. Not again. Please forgive me. What about later? Do we find our anger is like a bomb with a delayed fuse? In the moment, we thought we were cool. But later, there's a flood of defensiveness, critical thoughts, you name it. 
We can barely contain our internal implosion. What to do? Return to the heart of Jesus. Tell the Lord honestly what you feel. Remember his words, Learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. To be meek is to be gentle. Consider two words that are the opposite of gentleness, harshness and bitterness. We can be harsh with ourselves. We can be bitter towards others. Either way, we need gentleness. Ask the Lord for this grace. As First Peter says, Cast all your cares on him, because he cares for you. Suppose we feel the accusation is unjust. We are certainly free to say so, to take the initiative to correct the issue. But if it isn't a serious matter, we can also choose not to defend ourselves. Here's an example. You're studying in your apartment or household, and your roommate walks in. He grabs your water bottle off the table. How did you get my water bottle, he asks. I've been looking for this. That's my water bottle, you say. No way, dude. I'd recognize this anywhere. At this point, you're free to defend your position. You could show him some distinguishing mark. You could explain that your water bottle is like an appendage. It never leaves your side. You could observe that he often loses his water bottles. Here's the point. You could also say, you know what? Maybe that is your water bottle, bro. My mistake. If this feels wrong or insincere, here's the way Jesus explains it. Quote, If anyone wants to go to law with you over your tunic, hand him your cloak as well. Unquote. The idea is that whenever we accept personal slights for the sake of Christ, we offer him a hidden sacrifice of thanksgiving. We can bear small injustices for him who bore grave injustice for us. Resolving Conflict when someone hurts us. Gentleness is especially helpful when other people do something wrong to you. Start with a little self-evaluation. How do you handle hurt? Here's how not to. Don't explode with rage. Don't withdraw and sulk. Don't air your grievances to others and try to win them over to your side. Don't talk behind the offender's back or turn a cold shoulder against them. Don't make biting comments to express your anger indirectly. Yeah, yes, we all do these kinds of things. Remember, gentleness goes both ways. Don't be bitter towards them, but don't be harsh with yourself either. Just keep repenting, leaning into grace, working on improving. When we're hurt or offended, it calls for reflection before reaction. That means controlling irritation and angry outbursts. Anger isn't always bad, but uncontrolled anger does great damage. When emotions are too close to the surface, it's okay to say, I need a minute here, and excuse yourself. Sometimes an awkward exit is better than saying things we really don't mean and really might regret. Reflection before reaction means that once we calm down, we ask ourselves, what's really the matter here? Honestly, many of our reactions are overreactions. We blow small things into big things, and then we blow up. Some issues are more serious, like clear wrongdoing or betraying a relationship. Other issues are about good versus better versus best. When we're free to choose, we can pick best. But what if we're following somebody else's lead? If that person is the legit leader, it's actually good sometimes for the sake of unity to accept a less-than-best decision. Remember, this is not an issue of right and wrong. You can choose to go along with it when there's no sin or wrongdoing. 
It's another example of humility's unique strength. Lastly, we have many conflicts that come down to preferences. We need to work hard to be honest with ourselves here. Is my anger or frustration based on something objectively wrong, or am I just irritated by another person's different ways of doing things? He plays that praise song exactly the way I don't like it, probably on purpose. She sings all the time. I live with a freaking nightingale. How do we sort out all these reactions? Here's a helpful scale. We move from least serious to most along a left to right line. On the left side, annoyed. Then, disagree. In the center, offended. Then, hurt. And on the right side, broken trust. Annoyed. The virtue we can practice here is forbearance. That doesn't mean ignore the irritating behavior or wish it away. It's more like an inward decision. For the sake of charity and unity, we are willing to overlook the matter and carry the burden of discomfort. We also choose not to hold it against the person. Disagree. Can we agree? We disagree about a lot. Most times it's nothing personal, but more a matter of opinion, like LeBron versus MJ, or Star Wars versus Star Trek, or In-N-Out versus Whataburger. Most of these we can let slide. They don't rise to a level that calls for reconciliation. Although, I mean, it's Star Wars, but I digress. Offense. Sometimes when we're offended, we can choose to practice forbearance, but other times it leans more towards hurtful behavior, a thoughtless comment, a slight of some sort, a painful wound to our pride. How do we tell if it calls for reconciliation? If it's a few days later and you're still troubled, irritated, or angry, it's probably worth addressing. More on this below. Hurt and broken trust. Both of these definitely call for reconciliation. Why? They threaten the relationship. When we say to ourselves, that didn't bother me, but find that we avoid the person or continue to struggle inwardly, we need to admit it. If there's a lingering negative reaction to something they did or didn't do, it's important to act. St. Paul advises, quote, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun set on your anger, unquote. Whenever it's clear that we're hurting, we shouldn't put it off. Seek out the person and apply the following approach. What to say. As with repairing wrongdoing, we need to make the first move. Reach out. Give the person a heads up that you need to talk about something that's been bothering you. That way, they're not blindsided by it. In the course of the conversation, be direct. Don't make snarky comments or lay in a guilt trip. Go right to the issue of reconciliation. Affirm the relationship. We want the person to know that we value them. Something like, hey, before I speak honestly, I need to let you know that our relationship is very important to me, that I value unity, that I, I wouldn't bring this up if it wasn't a real concern to me. Address the problem. Avoid accusations that make a person defensive. Instead, use I statements like, when you blank, I felt blank. Sometimes it's appropriate to acknowledge our part in the conflict, not to blame ourselves, but to express a willingness to hear their side. Whatever their response, it's important in our own minds to distinguish the person from the problem. We're affirming what's good, the person and the relationship, 
while addressing what's bad, the unwanted behavior. Articulate the request. Be specific about what you're asking of the other person. Something like, going forward, I'd appreciate it if blank, or in the future, please do not blank. Acknowledge forgiveness. The person may apologize, but they also might not. It's important that we receive whatever kind of apology they give with kindness. So don't show them the previous pages and lecture them on the importance of saying, please forgive me. Better to model it than demand it. Here's the critical piece. Whether they ask for forgiveness or not, we tell them, I forgive you. And if that would not be well received, we make the decision to forgive in our hearts. That's what we learned before about mercy. The Father welcomes us home with overflowing forgiveness. We do the same for our brothers and sisters, whether we think they deserve it or not. Reconciliation and Forgiveness There's a painful fact we need to acknowledge. Sometimes, despite our best efforts, we don't reach a peaceful reconciliation with the person. Forgiveness is something we can give whether or not they ask for it, but reconciliation is different. This is important if the wrongdoing is serious, as in the case of broken trust. Forgiveness here does not mean putting ourselves back in harm's way. We can and should expect the person to take reasonable responsibility, to change their damaging behavior, and to work at restoring trust. Doctors Cloud and Townsend are Christian counselors who have written extensively about setting and maintaining good boundaries. They point out, quote, God forgave the world, but the whole world is not reconciled to him. Although he may have forgiven all people, all people have not owned their sin and appropriated his forgiveness. That would be reconciliation. Forgiveness takes one. Reconciliation takes two. Unquote. One word summary. The heart of Jesus teaches us humility and gentleness. The heart of the Father teaches us mercy. When the households of our own community are alive with these virtues, the unity we see here on earth reflects that of the Father's house above. I give you a new commandment. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you also should love one another. Love. If we want to sum up this chapter and the one before it, we could use this one word so greatly misunderstood. Love is not feelings and emotions, it's commitment and courage. Love is a commitment to do whatever it takes to avoid damaging relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Love is also the courage to do whatever it takes to restore these relationships when we fail. It takes real effort, daily sacrifice, and constant attention to the good of those around us. Love does such things. It's not about me. It's about we, our life together in the household of God.